Hey there, we're the Westlaw Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skoskowspo. Well guys, uh, with spring officially starting, uh, you know, now that we are in spring, um, you know, basketball is over, uh, at least for as far as Northwestern is concerned. But uh, we turn our attention to, you know, fully to lacrosse and softball. And, uh, you know, softball is kind of running really, really high right now on a seven-game win streak. Uh, and, you know, really kind of impressing everyone with a sweep over Minnesota uh, this weekend, you know, 8-7 on Friday in uh, nine innings and uh, with the rain out on Saturday, then a doubleheader on Sunday, uh, taking both of those, you know, starting the Big Ten season off with a bang. Yeah, it's awesome. I think there's, I mean, there's this, this whole issue of like rounding into form and no, this team doesn't really round in, need to round into form. This is a team that upset Texas at the start of the season, right? So, I mean, they they've always had it, but there definitely is a piece of, not just the wins, but finding the magic, right? And we know that last season was so much about that magic, that special sauce that that team had. Um, and you can just kind of get the feel that this team is kind of finding it, right? The way they, you know, found it in Oklahoma City and then the way that they found it Friday night against Minnesota, right? And just feeling that kind of magic, which, I mean, it makes us so excited to, to be able to talk about what we're going to talk about tonight. Yeah, so uh, we actually have a, a special guest coming on, and without further ado, uh, let's go to him. Well, we are extremely thrilled to be joined tonight uh, by Ben Rosenberg. Um, for those of you who don't know him, he covered the softball team for the Daily Northwestern since uh, back in 2018, and he's worked for Softball America. Now, uh, the sports reporter for the Valley News in Lebanon, New Hampshire. John, did I get that? Did I get the pronunciation right? The greatest newspaper in America, the Valley News in Lebanon, New Hampshire. Uh, ben, thanks so much for taking the time to join us tonight. Um, talk some softball because obviously, jumping into the Big Ten season, you know, the Cats have gotten off to a, a very strong start. Um, you know kind of since coming back, since coming home from the long, long road trip, which was a successful road trip. Um, but uh, yeah, th- thanks for jumping on with us tonight. Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me on. Uh, really excited. This is, I mean, again, you know, we've talked about this for a while, talked about wanting to have you on. Obviously, like we know, not only do you have an intimate knowledge of this team, not only do you have a lot of history covering this team, but your experience with this team in a lot of ways kind of mirrors this golden generation for, you know, for, for lack of a better term. And then of course, like, again, like we've been circling having you on and we'd already narrowed it down to sometime, you know, similar. And then of course, just as they have so many times, this team put together an absolutely unbelievable weekend that started with that unbelievable Friday. And then, um, just an absolute slam bang doubleheader on Sunday. Um, why don't we start with you know what were your thoughts watching this team kind of kind of crest this weekend? 
Oh, I mean, with, with Minnesota, it was just huge for, for the, this team to get the monkey off their back. Minnesota has really been a thorn in Northwestern's side for at least a half decade there. It was four straight years that Minnesota had beaten Northwestern in the Big Ten tournament from 2016 through 2019. Um, and at the end of that 2019 season, Northwestern lost two out of three at Minnesota, which cost them the Big Ten title. The conference-only season in 2021, Minnesota swept the Cats in four straight in Evanston. Uh, and then at the end of last year, it didn't cost them the conference championship, but they again lost the series to uh, a, a Minnesota team that wasn't quite as strong as what we had been seeing recently. Uh, and both losses were by the run roll. So this weekend here, to not just take the series, but sweep them, I mean, that's got to be cathartic for for the veterans in this program, maybe, maybe even more so than the series last year that they, that they took against Michigan. Well, I think it's important to point out for folks that haven't been paying as close attention to this, like coming into the weekend, based on the Softball America rankings for 2023, Northwestern is sitting there ranked number 23. Minnesota is right behind them at 24. So, I mean, the Cats torched a team that by some national publication standards was seen as on par with them coming into the weekend. Yeah, I mean, the polls are going to be what they are at the, they're all going to say different things. Especially yeah, I, when, I, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're still fairly early on in the season. Um, but although I guess we've, we've got, we're kind of halfway through now because of just how many games are front loaded on those, those first few weekends. Uh, but yeah, Friday's game. I mean, of course we all expect a pitcher's duel between Daniel Williams and autumn peas from Minnesota. Who's had a really nice bounce back year for them. And so naturally both teams score four runs in the second inning and then it ends eight to seven and extras. Um, <laughs> so yeah, but that's been Northwestern's identity for really as long as I've been around this program is their ability to battle back. They're hardly ever out of the game. It was huge for them to respond immediately after giving up that grand slam. Um, I know Danielle Williams was a little bit shaky, but still all seven runs that she allowed came on two swings. So she was really close for to being, you know, right there and for Northwestern to to have been coasting to a victory if she'd gotten uh, those two batters out. I believe they were both with two outs. Um, but it's kind of a similar feeling to last year that, you know, when it becomes a game that someone will win in, in their last at bat, Northwestern seems to pull those out more often than not. And we got to credit Lauren Boyd as well uh, out of the bullpen with, with those three squirrels innings to, to set the stage for Hannah Katie's walk-off home run. Yeah. Boyd has been uh real good this, I mean, she's been solid this year, especially with uh, Williams. I mean, to call it struggles, um, you know, struggles for Danielle Williams is, beautiful pitching for anyone else but like as, as for you know the level that daniel williams has been you know it's been a little bit uh of a rocky at least beginning of the season but you know lauren boyd coming in and really kind of shouldering the load has been really awesome yeah it has and lauren boyd has not been fully healthy for either of her first two seasons her freshman year i believe was a foot injury she was battling and then last year, um, she you know, her back locks up during a game in the middle of April, and she doesn't pitch again the rest of the year. So she's been healthy, at least as far as I know, this season, and it's really showing. You know, she's the hardest thrower on the staff, um, but she also induces a lot of ground balls and has some really good off-speed stuff. Um, and we really saw that used to great effect in the first game of Sunday's doubleheader. Um, you know, she was able to... Um, strand a bunch of runners in several innings and allow North Northwestern's offense to really take control and uh, and end that game early. That was their first run roll victory of the season, and you know for it to come against Minnesota of all teams, maybe not what we expected, but very exciting. So I'm kind of curious, and again, we can kind of go in and out of this and 
and, and explore this a little bit because I think you're in a fortunate position. And again, we would love to say that we are in this position as as guys who've run this podcast for you know a decade plus at this point. But the truth of the matter is that last season had this magical quality that, of course, Northwestern softball has been unbelievable for so long. And yet there was this almost magical onboarding last year of so many fans. And again, we followed and covered Northwestern softball um, prior to that point. But last season, not unlike the Rose Bowl year in 95, had this magical effect of onboarding people and, and this crossing of the Rubicon where it's like we and so many others crossed and did not come back. And yes, we'd followed the team, but maybe not at the granular level that someone like you had been following this particular group for so long. And I'm curious, like, can you put in context? So for example, we talked about Lauren Boyd. Can you put in context where Northwestern's pitching is right now as a unit versus where it's been, let's say, when, you know, when you were covering Northwestern for the Daily back in 2019, when Danielle Williams was starting out? Can you juxtapose this overall battery right now versus where it would have been back then yeah i mean this has been this has been really different in terms of it does feel like northwestern has a more complete staff with lauren boyd who i I mentioned has been dealing just about every time out and and cammy henry as well a grad transfer from d3 to paw who was very strong the last two years there and she's really been able to translate a lot of that stuff to to the d1 and big 10 level um, she's, you know, a bit of a, a fly ball pitcher, but, um, you know, her, her performance in that second game against Minnesota, complete game, allowed just one run on a first inning homer. I don't think she walked anybody. Um, I think the the pitching coach, Michelle Gascoigne, a former national champion with Oklahoma, uh, has clearly made an impact. Um, in terms of comparing this to, to previous staffs, I mean, even in her freshman year in 2019, um, like Danielle just took control of that staff from really the first weekend. I mean, she was one out from a no hitter in her first collegiate start. Um, And my freshman year before that, which was 2018, that was the year before Danielle arrived. They were supposed to have five pitchers um, on that staff. And then one of them tore her ACL the second weekend. Another left the program for personal reasons. um, And another just wasn't very reliable in the way she had been in years past. So that, so then they were basically left with two. It was Kenna Wilkie, who was a freshman at that time and Morgan Newport, who was a sophomore. Um, and those two, you know, they did pretty well. They had a pretty good offense that year. Um, but it hasn't really felt like the staff has truly run three deep um, in any any year like it does right now. And I think that's a really exciting prospect for a team that's, you know, mm. trying to get back um, to where they were last season. And, um, you know, the offense seems to, it's, it's not quite what it was without Rachel Lewis, but it's, it's, been I mean, coming along. How how could it be? Right. Yeah, you can't. Like, uh, people tend to ask, "Oh, how do you replace a player like that?" You can't. Um, but uh, and I think early on we saw a lot of that. Um, in in that it's not just her spot in the lineup that's being missed. It like her presence helped everybody else see better pitches. Um, and I think some of the others were were sort of. Not, 
they they were a little bit behind, but I think um, the schedule was absolutely brutal. Northwestern has played the number one non-conference strength of schedule in the country. They've played the hardest schedule in the country. Um, and I think as they've come back home, um, they've just grown more comfortable and um, the bats do seem to be coming along of late. Yeah, I was kind of curious about that and kind of wanting to delve into that a little bit because Right, obviously we all know that, right, arguably the greatest hitter in Northwestern history is not on this team anymore. And as you just said, right, of course, in addition to just the what she's what she's producing from her spot in the lineup, there's going to be that trickle-down effect in terms of, right, the way that they're, right, the lack of good pitches and everyone, everyone that every other batter sees. I'm curious what your evaluation is, I mean, obviously, like, we're looking at the weekend, for example, and obviously you can look and be like, someone like Nikki Cuckerin is on a tear right now that she wasn't on early on, and obviously some of the younger hitters. But I'm curious how you feel this team has done throughout this season from an offensive perspective and, you know, what you feel is behind that one way or another. Like, where are you seeing growth? Where are you seeing issues, you know, relative to last season? Well, if you look at the raw numbers, they're not what they were last season. Uh, But if you look at the overall production, they're definitely trending in the right direction. And really, we saw a lot of it this weekend. Northwestern's offense did what they seem to always do. They draw a lot of walks. They drive up everybody's pitch count. Um, and then they, you know, they take advantage of defensive mistakes and they'll get a few timely hits when, when they need to. That third game against Minnesota, I think they won that with just four hits and their first two runs scored on a bases loaded walk uh, and I believe a wild pitch. So um, even when they're not, you know, stringing together hits like they were in that third inning of the first game of Sunday's doubleheader, which was just beautiful to watch, um, they can still uh, scratch across some runs here and there. The, the power is definitely down, but, you know, of course, that's to be expected when you lose someone like Rachel Lewis. Um, uh, like, you know, Nikki Cochran was huge to see her get off the mat, hit her first home run of the year. Um, Maeve Nelson is definitely the one who they really still need to get going. Um, but, I mean, if, if her track record is any indication, her bat will definitely come around in the next couple of weeks. Um, Jordan Rudd has been as steady as ever. Um, Skylar Schellmeyer had a great weekend, and, and some of the younger players have – uh, have started to step right up and fit right in too. So, I was gonna say, just for reference, Maeve is about a hundred points lower on her average from last year. Um, and obviously, they, that that power outage, I think, is you know when you when you when you watch that team, it's it's what I notice the most um, is different. But I think th- I think that's why it's so critical to be thinking about the the battery as as you described earlier because. Something on this team had to, you know, you can't replace Rachel Lewis to your point, right? But something had to change in the way that they operated to be able to maintain the level that they're at. And the level they're at is spectacular. I think they're 11 in the RPI right now, um, which is a reflection of that of that strength of schedule. And I can't help, I can't help looking forward at the rest of the Big Ten. I mean, Michigan is the only other team that's even on the radar right now nationally that seems like they can they can push Northwestern. Who else, you know, as as the schedule is going to play out here in the spring, who else should should Northwestern fans be eyeing, leery about, focused on uh, as we go through this Big Ten season? That's really interesting because, yeah, Northwestern's 11 in the RPI, which is a reflection of that brutal schedule that they played early on. Uh, and, and Michigan 
has sort of always been that. I mean, they used to run this league every year mm-hmm. under under Carol Hutchins. It was it was kind of you could pencil them in as the conference champion. You know, it was it, it was it was a little bit. You know, Iowa used to be their main challenger. There were years in the 2000s where it was Northwestern. More recently, it's been Minnesota. Um, but yeah, Michigan is a not it's not the Michigan that we're used to seeing. Uh, Carol Hutchins, of course, their legendary head coach of nearly 40 years. Uh, retired really abruptly toward the end of last summer. And Bonnie Toll, who was her longtime assistant, uh, was elevated to the head coaching position there. They also lost quite a bit in the transfer portal, both uh, with the pitching staff and their offense. Um, So it's not quite the same Michigan. They actually dropped uh, two out of three this weekend at Ohio State, which is the first time in quite a while, I've got to say, that that, that they've lost that rivalry series. Um, So within the Big Ten, I – I mean, Nebraska was was in front for most of last season before Northwestern overtook them the last few weeks. Um, they opened conference play by sweeping Purdue, which wasn't too much of a surprise, but um, they're going to be right up there. And that's a series that Northwestern fans should definitely have circled. The last weekend of April, the Cats will be hosting Nebraska at the J, and that's probably going to have massive title implications. So if you're listening uh, and you're in the area, definitely look into getting tickets for that one. Um, let's see. And I mean, there were, there were some real surprises during this first weekend of conference play. We had Rutgers sweeping Illinois on the road. Uh, Rutgers has definitely been toward the bottom of the league, um, ever since they've joined it. Um, but they had a strong start to non-conference play, even against a relatively weak schedule. Um, we had Indiana sweeping Maryland, um, and Maryland was kind of the conference darling. They had a, a strong finish last year. They were ranked in several of the polls coming into this weekend, um, and Indiana kind of just took it to them. Um, and Iowa, another team that's been toward the bottom, they won two of they won two of three on the road over Penn State. And Penn State's another team that people expected would would really make a leap this year. Um, so the league as a whole just feels more wide open than really at any time in recent memory. There's no clear favorite. Um, and but at the same time, everybody's going to be tough. Um, there aren't going to be any easy series wins there. What about so you alluded to earlier? I mean, the fact that Northwestern has played this insanely hard schedule, and because of that, we've seen a lot of these top teams. Of course, again, with a team like Texas, a team like Tennessee, we're seeing them really early in the season, and knowing that they have really high rankings, and you know, like win over Tennessee, like uh, I mean, win over Texas, lost to Tennessee. The horrible game against Clemson, then the other one that was whisker close, same deal with US uh, with UCLA, same deal with Oklahoma. But I think we're, like most Cats fans, probably only looking at those teams through the lens of when we play them. How is that top of the softball landscape shaping up right now? Like, where do you see the power coalescing? Like, is it still Oklahoma? Is it someone else? Like, where do you see the, the top of the landscape right now? I mean, nationally, yeah, Oklahoma is is the favorite, definitely, to win their third straight national title. They dropped one game against Baylor, I think, the second week of the year, and all their fans were you know, acting like the sky was falling. And then they go out to the Mary Nutter tournament in Southern California, and they put a 14 to nothing beat down on UCLA. So they're, yeah, they're, they're still that team. Um, you know, UCLA is obviously still very, very good. The win over Texas has aged quite well, as we expected it would. The win over Kentucky has also aged pretty well. 
Um, those two wins over Auburn at, at the OKC tournament have also aged pretty well. Auburn just swept Missouri, which is a team that Northwestern has a loss to. So everything just, I mean, it, it's all it's all kind of a big jumble there. Um, in terms of Oklahoma's biggest threat to win the national title, it might come from within their own state. Oklahoma State is is just as strong, and um, it'll be a big deal uh, in the national softball landscape when they play each other at the end of the season. Is there anyone kind of under the radar that uh, you see as a potential to be jumping into that uh, upper echelon of the softball world? That That's a great question. Um, outside of the Power Five, uh, it does seem like Wichita State um, could, could have a shot to maybe get up there and host a regional, kind of similar to the way UCF did last year um, in the American Conference. They, they took a series from UCF this past weekend, and they've got um, two of the best hitters in the country with Sidney McKinney and Addison Barnard. Um, so they'd be a team to watch out for. Um, another non-Power 5 team that's been just sort of in the national conversation for a while is Louisiana. Um, they're, with their RPI right now, they're definitely in contention to maybe host a regional as well. So I'm curious, talking about all this and obviously like, we're all hoping, right, that someday, like, some of these top teams, I mean, that, that we may see some of these teams in an Evanston regional, and we may see the same kind of run. Um, there's a whole kind of hearts and minds discussion that I think we want to have relative to this team, but kind of before we get there, from like a, a strictly a softball perspective, looking ahead to the rest of this season, what are you eyeing in particular like what are you most hoping to see from this team in terms of development is there a particular corner you want to see turned anything you particularly have your eye on that you feel is going to be crucial for Northwestern going through confidence play to kind of get to where this team's hoping to get back to I mean we kind of thought this week it's uh, I think the the teams that are going to win series and sweep series in the Big Ten are the teams that are going to be able to have their uh, number two and number three pitchers for complete games. We we saw that on Sunday with both Lauren Boyd and Cammie Henry. Um, it does seem like some of the younger players um, maybe need to be added to added to the mix as well. Ayanna Lindsay took a huge step forward this weekend. Um, she had an absolutely massive series. Had had five hits, including a double and a triple. Um, the, the freshman, I mean, Kelsey Nader has been battling, I think, a few injuries, um, but she really showed flashes of what she can do early on. Um, Bridget Donahue was uh, a highly touted recruit who hasn't really been able to adjust to the college game quite yet, but the potential is certainly there. Um, and, and Kansas Robinson, the other freshman, uh, we saw some good things out of her this weekend. Um, so, I mean... Once those once those super seniors graduate, that's like pretty much half your lineup that you that you've got to um, that you've got to account for for uh, for next season and beyond. So um, it's really nice that these freshmen kind of get a trial run without having to necessarily be full time starters, um, and so that they're going to be they're going to be able to jump right in uh, when the, when they're sophomores. And they've also got some some other some more strong recruiting classes coming in down the line. So. Um, the present uh, is looking bright. I know this is a, this is kind of a standalone year with with all these up with all these fifth years, um, but um, they should be able to keep this momentum going as well beyond this season. It's funny. Do you mention one of the other names that you didn't even mention is Lo Saborski, who 
had an unbelievable game against UIC on Tuesday, but I mean, has the misfortune of playing a position currently occupied by the best catcher in America, you know, so her, her minutes are going to be, you know, but I mean, I mean, but there's yet another name, right? Where again, it's like your, you can see coach Drohan's trying to find time to get someone like that reasonable reps with an eye on the future. But while we're here, while, while you brought it up, obviously, again, you arrived at Northwestern right before this unbelievable group of super seniors arrived and have had, you know, you've kind of been in the catbird seat to watch some of this amazing development of some of these players. Um, this, again, I said it earlier, this golden generation of this unbelievable group who've come through and obviously there are other great players, you know, below them and above them. I mean, you mentioned like a Morgan Newport, who's, you know, currently a coach on the team, but the, this unbelievable run of this group of super seniors, I'm just curious as someone who's covered the team, who's followed the team, who was at the college world series last year, are there particular, you know, particular players that are, that you just love or particular moments or, you know, again, I guess like particular players where you've been able to watch their development and think, wow, this has been really special to see. Yeah. Um, I mean, even even the, the, the recent alumni who aren't necessarily on this current team. Uh, you mentioned Morgan Newport, who is one of my absolute favorites. He's an assistant coach now for Northern Kentucky after being a, a grad assistant on, on last year's World Series team. Um, he really filled a different role every year he was there. He started out as primarily a pitcher, became a, a big part of their rotation, then moved to the outfield, um, really developed into someone who could make a big impact on the game with her bat. Um and then her last year kind of did a little of everything. Um, in terms of uh, the, the current the current fifth year seniors were almost I mean they were I mean they uh, they weren't exactly finished products when they were freshmen but they were already the leaders of the team. Um, they they just kind of jumped right in and, and set the tone right from right from the beginning and led that group in 2019 um, to their first super regional at that point in 11 years. Um, so I mean. Jordan, I mean, I, I I agree with you. I think she's the best all-around catcher in the country. Um, she's, you know, she puts the ball in play. She's got line drive, double power, and home run power. And, you know, defensively, she's an absolute warrior. Um, got a, a great arm and handles the pitching staff. And what's really stood out is her durability. I mean, you see her get knocked down all the time, and she always just gets right back up and is good as ever. Um, like Skylar, Sel- Skylar Selmeyer, same thing. Like, she's instant energy. I was a bit up and down her freshman year, but actually she does have a little bit of a uh, of, of that uh, arc you were sort of referencing um, midway through the 2021 season. Um, Coach Thurhan put her back in the leadoff spot, and she's been there ever since. Um, as a slapper, she's a true triple threat. You know, she can bunt, slap, and hit away, um, and she's got a really good arm uh, in, in center field too. Um, Northwestern had had some slappers like that before uh, before her at the top of their order. It was Emily Allard for a while, and then Sabrina Rabin, and Shelmeyer is just, she's been next in line. Um, Maeve Nelson, of course, you guys know well, her her personality is is infectious. Uh, she's always dancing, um, and, you know, she's had some tough luck this year, um, and once she gets going, you know, she's got big-time power. Um, and, then, and, and, and Nikki Cochran is, I mean, she's just a pure hitter. Um, last year had a career year in terms of her power, and you know, after a tough start this year, she's really finding her stroke, and, and defensively, she's come a long way too. 
Uh, you, you talk about, you know, filling the void, stepping up. Um, I mentioned we talked a little bit about some of the, the younger hitters, but, um, you know, the pitching looks to be, you know, with Williams and Supley and Henry all graduating at the end of this year. Is it, is it Lauren Boyd's team moving forward? Yeah, I mean, obviously, that's that's a that's a bridge they're going to cross uh, at the end of this season, and when when they get to it, uh, I'm not sure exactly what the um, the future looks like in terms of incoming recruits. Obviously, the transfer portal is now a way in which uh, teams can uh, don't don't have to wait for incoming freshmen to arrive. They can replenish whatever holes they they need to fill right away. I know uh, Northwestern hasn't. Uh, historically gone that route very much. Cammy Henry, I believe, is the first transfer they've added since Andrea Filler, um, who was an outstanding shortstop and power hitter in the in the mid 2010s, and she has she stayed on with the team for a while as director of operations. Um, but I mean, as it just sort of becomes, uh, I mean, the way that teams uh, will will build. And I've got to imagine that, I mean, this coaching staff is way too competitive not to not to use that. So um, I'm certain maybe that's a way that they can maybe um, fill that hole without necessarily having to to wait for uh, high school commits. Well, and Henry hasn't exactly poured water on any of that, too. She's been fantastic. So I'm like the uh, it's amazing. I mean, at the start of the season, I mean, obviously, you know, none of us certainly casual fans have any point of reference for D3 softball compared to D1 softball. And I remember she came in really early in the season and I want to say her first game, she got kind of roughed up a little bit and we were kind of like, oh, okay, well, you know, coach Drohan maybe saw this coming and is getting the rust off and, and getting her reps early on. And then she totally settled down and has been fantastic for the rest of the season. And then I'm to the point now where I'm like, how did D3 hitters deal with this at all? Because she's out there throwing meaningful innings in really big games. And to your point, it seems like, I mean, and we've kind of been talking about it for weeks, where the hitting, again, like we knew, it, the ceiling just isn't the same with Rachel Lewis gone. But then we're looking at, and we're looking at someone like Cochran and being like, well, we were expecting her bat to start showing up. And then it really has. And kind of being like, look, there's going to be some sort of progression to the mean here. This pitching is just way as as good as we possibly could have expected. And like you said, with Boyd finally being healthy and having this kind of depth that wasn't there, even with Williams being, like Sam said, maybe not at the peak of what we've seen here, you just still feel the potential of this team to get back. I mean, and again, like don't want to jinx it. I'm searching for some wood to knock on, but obviously trying to get back to the same place they were last year. And with that said, I'm curious your experience, because obviously you had all this familiarity with the team, covering with the, covering for the Daily, covering for Softball America, and you had known that if Northwestern did make it back, or did you know finally make it back to the College World Series again, you were going to go. And I know you had the chance to go. And I'm just curious, you know, we were all watching at home, those of us who weren't fortunate enough to, to go, but I'd love to hear from you. Just what was that experience like to be able to go to the women's college world series and support this team? Oh, it, it was, it was great. I mean, in terms of like my experiences as a sports fan, I mean, like, sure, I've got the professional teams who I've always rooted for, 
but this is this is so different because it's personal uh, because I have um, these these connections because the program really right from the start I was someone who's always been a big baseball fan but had was barely aware of softball before I got to Northwestern um, and you know, Kate and the rest of the coaching staff and the players on, on those first couple teams just really welcomed me into their family and um, it, you know, I, I grew into a big fan of the game and it uh, really became my niche. So, I mean, I really had never wanted anything for a group of people quite like I wanted that team to, um, to achieve that goal of making it to the world series because they're very, I mean, Kate, as for as much as Kate talks about one game at a time, we're not focusing on anything beyond the next game and the next inning. She's very open about that goal of, you know, our goal year in year out is always to get to Oklahoma city. So I knew how much it meant for them to achieve that for the first time in 15 years. Um, and, you know, after the game, uh, you know, I was at the UCLA game where they, they lost and their season came to an end, but I was able to, you know, hang around outside the stadium and, and talk with a lot of them. And it, it, it meant a lot for them. It meant a lot uh, to me for, to, to, to be there for it. Um, so plus it was just a cool experience seeing like everyone there is just, you know, everyone there loves the game from uh, the young girls who are, who are playing, who just, you know, can't wait to get a glimpse of their heroes and get some autographs maybe. And um, it's just, it, it's a great place. The sport has just grown so much. Um, I mean, I wasn't following it at all the last time Northwestern was in the World Series, but it's grown so much since then. And um, signs only point to that continuing. It's funny, you, you mentioned that we were, when we had Sydney Supley on, she told this great story because we were asking her, Sam asked her if she got the home run, if she, not the home, if she got the ball, she struck out Jocelyn Allo with. And she said no, but then she talked about being so surprised later in the day that after she got that strikeout, just walking around the area with her folks and how many people came up to her and were like, were you the pitcher who struck out Jocelyn Allo? And just realizing just how much of a hold that the sport had, you know, not on that area, but on the nation. And it was just really, really cool to, to think about. So, I mean, I guess if we were going to kind of look forward, you know, with this team and kind of put a bow on, on this softball team, where, what, what do you see? What do you, what do you see the rest of the year? How do you see things shaping out for this team? Oh man, uh, put me on the spot here. But um, <laughs> no, no, not going to be held to anything here. Um, I, I definitely like the way things are trending. Uh, I mean, they started four and six against that brutal schedule. Since then, they've won thirteen of fifteen. Um, and this is sort of the time of year where they tend to be playing their best. Um, I mean, winning, uh, sweeping that series against Minnesota just to, to set the tone for conference conference play. That's absolutely massive. Um, they, the big 10 schedule is definitely road heavy Four of the last six weekends are going to be away from Evanston. Um, but I mean, that's nothing new for this team. They, you know, they, they played away from home for the first five weekends of the year. And, uh, so, you know, at Iowa this weekend, Iowa is going to be, you know, maybe tougher than we expected. Um, and then, you know, Penn State at home, uh, same thing, but I definitely see, uh, see the cats. If not, if they can't repeat the big 10 title, um, certainly they'll be right up there in the top four and um, they keep this up and, and some of their uh, their results in non-conference play age well in terms of the RPI. I think 
um, hosting a regional will will definitely be on the table. And and if that happens, um, then who knows where where they might end up? We know they can win a super regional away from home, as we saw last year. And, and of course, you know, circling that last weekend in April, uh, the last homes the last home stand against Nebraska. That uh, that that sh- that could be uh, that could be an interesting weekend. I think. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. No, Nebraska. Um, I mean, Nebraska softball. Honestly, their program trajectory was sort of similar to Nebraska football. That they were, you know, they they were a perennial power for so many years, and then had fallen on hard times. Uh, but last year, they really rated that. They really rated that ship. Finished second in the regular season, won the Big Ten tournament, and returned just about everybody from that team. Everybody in their offense can hit. It's led by Billy Andrews at the top, who's definitely a candidate for uh, Big Ten Player of the Year. And with Courtney Wallace leading that rotation, Sarah Harness is a transfer they added from Southern Illinois. Um, I definitely see them as maybe the biggest threat to Northwestern repeating as Big Ten champions. And to get them at home late in the season when the weather will hopefully be uh, be actually feel like spring in Evanston. Um, yeah, fingers crossed. Yeah, right? fingers crossed. Um, yeah, that's definitely one to circle. I would love to be able to to make it back to Chicago for that one. And we should mention, too, we are also circling that series. We don't have anything specific to announce now, but I think a lot of you know that we were part of putting something together for a basketball game um, during the men's basketball season. Some of you might remember that game. It was the Purdue game. Uh, ever heard of it? Um, we are circling and have had some preliminary discussions looking ahead to that Nebraska series at the end of April. So again, we're going to circle back on that, but uh, that is definitely something that we are keeping our eyes on. And as soon as we have details, we'll, we'll kind of let you all know. Um, I, so Ben, I, I would be remiss as a Lebanon, New Hampshire born and bred boy if if I did not ask you at least a few questions about again the greatest newspaper in the United States of America, the Valley News, um, this is a paper that I did not do my teaching media at at Northwestern, but worked at while I was at Northwestern. You are currently one of the uh, top sports reporters, um, and I think this is something that maybe some people kind of might in general be curious about i i know you know sam and i are both medill grads um they're a lot of journalism out i mean people have talked about the shifting landscape of journalism and etc but you are someone fortunate to work with one of the last great regional dailies in the united states right um that serves a a very specific regional market um, a very dynamic regional market a market that is college a market that is high school um, and I know, and you're just doing a ton of different stuff. So, I mean, I'm, I'm curious, what has, what has your experience been like, you know, being a journalist at a kind of a, a special daily like that? Yeah, it's been a fun experience. I've been here for almost a year and a half at this point. I knew nothing about the area when I joined, um, but I'm covering Dartmouth College Athletics and the Ivy League, as well as high schools in both New Hampshire and Vermont. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's a very different setting than anything I've really lived in before. I've grown up in definitely more urban and suburban uh, areas. Um, but it's nice to see that the, the community has really come to, you know, um, get to know, uh, like get to know me. I've gotten a lot of just 
fun story pitches um and they they seem to you know i hope i hope they i hope they enjoy my work i hope that i'm you know doing the local sports scene justice because they're and you know there there might not be a ton of athletes from our local high schools who are going to play you know at the big 10 level or at the d1 level in general um but they're out there it's you know a ton of three sport athletes uh because they're they're pretty small schools so i'm going to be covering the same players you know in soccer and then basketball and then baseball um so yeah it's been a fun experience i'm I'm looking to potentially move on um in the near future but it's been a good place to to start my professional career how would you juxtapose because i i know there are people i mean certainly people who because northwestern is northwestern and dartmouth is dartmouth i mean in terms of the quality of academics of the schools there's a lot of crossover there and I think a lot of people might look and be like, okay, Northwestern, Big Ten, Dartmouth, Ivy League. But I think you know, and I know from growing up there, Dartmouth is one of the most comprehensive athletic departments in the country. They field the D1 team in just about everything you could possibly field the D1 team in. And I'm curious what your experience is juxtaposing, like how does a Northwestern, ac- you know, academically focused Big Ten athletic department at a place like Northwestern juxtaposed with an Ivy League athletics experience and covering that at Dartmouth? Oh, I mean, it's, it's crazy. The the teams that they, or the sports that they field varsity teams in, like equestrian. Um, I, I never heard of college equestrian before. Uh, skiing <laughs> is obviously uh, a, a big deal. They have, a, their women's rugby team is um, probably the best team at Dartmouth. They've won back-to-back national championships. It's not an NCAA thing um but shoot the boot baby yeah they're they've been absolutely dominant the last couple of years they had a, their they, their star player played in the olympics uh was was a cool really really cool person to write about um yeah and it's just it's so ivy league <laughs> when you when you think about it and dartmouth i'm pretty sure being the smallest school in terms of student population in the ivy league like the percentage of undergrads who are athletes is you know enormously high like way more than anything you'll see at northwestern which is in in northwestern it's going to be a lot higher compared to the rest of the big 10 because of how small northwestern is compared to the rest of the big 10 so this is uh, another extension of of all of that well ben uh we don't want to take up your entire evening but uh thank you for you know jumping on with us tonight i definitely appreciate your insights on on the softball team um and uh you know moving forward if people wanted to follow you uh online um how, how could people uh, track you down sure so i'm fairly active on twitter which is at bx rosenberg um and you will can find plenty of softball takes on there both about northwestern the big 10 and maybe some things in the national picture um in terms of i mean because i have you know this this full-time job um my my softball stuff is definitely more independent and personal but um, I'm doing some things like Big Ten Power Rankings, uh, which I'll publish online on, on Medium, and I'll link to those on Twitter. Um, last year, I did a little bit of bracketology, which I will hope to bring back again in a couple weeks, um, and that'll that'll be on my Twitter feed as well. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's an exciting time uh, to, to be a softball fan at, at Northwestern and, and in general. Oh, well, Ben, thanks again for jumping on with us, and uh, have a good night. Thanks so much, guys. Really appreciate it. If you or a loved one is seriously injured by someone else's negligence, hire Kent Sinson of the Sinson Law Group. After over a decade prosecuting murder cases in Chicago, Sinson opened his own firm focused on wrongful death and personal injury cases. He specializes in car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and other transportation accidents, 
as well as construction accidents, medical negligence, slip and falls, product liability, and more. Millions recovered for clients. No fee unless he wins. The Sinson Law Group. Compassion, empathy, and vigorous advocacy. Go to SinsonLawGroup.com or call 312-332-2107 for a free consultation. And go Cats! Uh, once again, uh, thanks so much, Ben uh, Ben Rosenberg, uh, for jumping on with us tonight. Uh, that was really, really great stuff. Um, yeah, the like, like we've we've been saying for how many years, this softball team is just so much fun. And you know, as, as well as they're playing, they're you know, looking at the schedule, there's not a ton of more opportunity. Like, it's so weird to think like the Big Ten season's already started, but already there's not too many more opportunities to catch them at the J. Yeah. April 12th against Illinois. Um, the, the Nebraska weekend that we talked about with Ben. And then, you know, I guess if you want to go down to, to Champaign Urbana, that's where the big 10 tournament is this year. But um, hopefully we're looking at, you know, hosting a regional um, that, what is that roughly third weekend in May. So get it, get out while you can. Oh, and sorry. We've also got a, a home series against Penn State. Uh, the the weekend leading next, up to Easter next weekend. Yeah, not not this upcoming weekend, but the weekend after. Yep. In the interest of of a transition, while you, in terms of get out while you can, rest of the lacrosse teams in the country get out while you can. <laughs> get out, run for the hills, hide, because uh, the Northwestern Wildcats are coming. God, this team is a freaking buzzsaw. They're they're coming behind the back. They're coming <laughs> fake behind the back. <laughs> and getting Aaron Koykadal. Oh, oh my goodness. Like I it is Well let's let's what, let, what can you even say? Let's just start with so last time we talked, right? They had smoked smoked is probably the wrong term, but they beat North Carolina handily. Um, number one yeah. number one North Carolina. Like they they handled their business. Uh, like North Carolina didn't lead all game. Um, Northwestern came out and just like quietly stuffed them and then proceeded to rip off uh, this past Thursday. They beat Johns Hopkins 19 to five on the road and then absolutely destroyed Stanford. The final score was 29, but I believe at half it was 15 to two. And it was just, it was a clinic. It was an absolute clinic. This team is hitting on all cylinders. Uh, Skane continues to be the top scorer in the country. Northwestern uh, has the top scoring offense in the country. Um, the defense has been excellent. The draw controls are there. I recognize that, you know, like, yeah, they, they, they just beat, you know, the number one team <laughs> a week ago. And I'm, I'm about to like, you know, qualify that. Ah, yeah, their last two opponents haven't been like of, of the, of the utmost caliber, but um, this team is just humming right now. And uh, like the, the rest of their path here, like to John's point, just look out. It's it's crazy too because obviously at the start of the season and Sam alluded to this earlier, but we we all know the skein train and we know that coming into this season that she had to sit out last season. We know she's leading the nation in goals. We know she is the best player in the country. There is no doubt about it. And over the past couple of weeks. And again, it's not like these players weren't there before. It's not like they weren't playing well before. But there is this absolute four-headed monster at the top of the scoring sheet for this team right now. And as Sam alluded to, I mean, the 
the massive name you have to start with is Aaron Koykendall, a.k.a. The Conductor, who has... It's not just that she's scoring a crazy amount of goals. It's not just that she has 11 in her past two games. It's the way, the the highlight that she's actually like setting lacrosse Twitter ablaze with the behind-the-back goals she did in back-to-back games, then faked it against, um, who was it? Did she fake it against Hopkins? No, she did it against Hopkins, faked it against Stanford. Stanford. She, Stanford. Um, and then went frontside against Stanford. We're all trying to search. By the way, if you're listening to this, consider this an open um, an open call. We're searching for the best nickname for that move. We've had multiple suggestions. We're batting it around. Um, we'd be happy to crowdsource this. So if anyone has what they consider to be the perfect name for a Kaikendall's move, do it because that's it's it's unbelievable. I mean, obviously this is the conductor. Um, you've got the skein train. You've got the conductor, but then. We talked about, so we kind of found this on the stats relative to Haley Radigan. We talked about her on the last pod, this amazing transfer. She was at Mercer forever. And again, it's like, it's not the same level of lacrosse that Northwestern's playing at. But this is someone who comes over as a transfer from Mercer as the active career goals leader in the nation. And when we first saw that, we we were doing the math because they were like, oh, and She's the active career leader, but she and Izzy Skane have combined for this many goals. And you can look and be like, oh, well, they're, they were four apart. So you're thinking, oh, this is crazy because you have the active career goals leader. And then the player who's about to pass the active career goals leader and become the new active career goals leader. And they're on the same team. And what's crazy about that is since we saw that stat... Haley Radigan has given up no ground to Izzy Skane, and that's not because neither of them are scoring goals. It's because they're both scoring tons of goals. Um, and it's just Radigan is that good. And then Madison Taylor, who's a first year and has poured in, wrought eight goals on her own in the past two games, and, you know, might, is in the conversation for best first year in the country. They're a monster. I mean, I. Yeah, that. Yeah. It, it's it's awesome and I, it's so important because so Quickendall was interviewed after the Stanford game and just talking about the, su- the success that she's had et cetera and she she specifically talked about how the other team's defenses are trying to stack up defenders against Izzy Skane and are sliding to her because they they know that she's the focal point right and just like um in in the last couple of years whether it was. Uh, Monty or Gilbert or whomever, like you have to have that secondary scoring option that that win defenses, you know, design uh, ways to take Skeen out of the game or or just just overwhelm her with defenders. That there are other players who are going to step up, and this this four headed monster that you talked about, John, is um, is is too much for pretty much any defense uh, to handle. Um, what's really exciting. All, all four Corkendall's only at, at uh, four ninety one, but all four of them are essentially shooting at or above five hundred percent in terms of their their converting um, half of the shots that they take, if not more. Uh, Haley Redigan is is the tops on the team amongst those with with enough uh, enough shots to kind of count in this in this case, like five eighty eight, almost six hundred, uh, almost six hundred percent there. Um, or, or 0.6, uh, uh, 60%. 60%. Thank you. Um, 
So it's just it's it's a uh, it's a spectacular collection of talent, and um, I think what's really important. There's this one video clip that I was about um, to say. Yep. Yeah, that that John put up today. That's basically just like one passing to another, to another, to another eluded defender shooting score, and it's just it's it's like it's like tic tac toe. If you've ever, if you've ever you know been watching hockey or lacrosse or whatever, and you see players just. Pass, 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 shot, score. It's 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 clockwork. It's like it's like practice. It's like ben- and they're doing it in in live games against you know D one competition. Right. It's like how kind of you know Ben Rosenberg talked about it with softball with last year with Rachel Lewis, and it's like it's not just what Rachel Lewis does on her own. It's the way it all trickles down and the way everything mm-hmm. interconnects. And these players all make each other better, and that's what I love about that video. Is like it's not just four individuals it's like this organism that is just they're just humming i mean again we talked about it and yeah we're all full of hubris because of how good this team's playing but it's like man i'd love to go back and get that syracuse game again because where this team is right now um they just feel like they can't be beaten and again the rest of the season will bear out but um if this team keeps playing at this level like there is no ceiling on where they're gonna go And uh, we got some Final Fours to talk about, um, you know, probably you know, as far as the the men's basketball Final Four. I mean, anyone who said that they had these four teams in is lying. <laughs> nobody, nobody had any of these teams. Nobody had any of these. I, we talked. We talked to Scott. Um, so, so, maybe, maybe UConn. Yeah, maybe UConn. Well, so, so we got to shout out Scott Seppich because he said on our podcast that he he like I forget the index he referred to, but he talked about how. You know, he was talking about how overweighted Northwestern's corner of the bracket was because of the rankings of, of teams in this one index that basically measures from, I think, February 1st on. And so you had and he said specifically, UConn is the is the best team in the country based on this index. Um, UCLA was very high. Gonzaga was very high. Kansas was very high, et cetera. So he's just emphasizing how stacked Northwestern's corner of the bracket was. But that's about as close. I mean, yeah, there's some people that have UConn in their final four. And the various pools that that we're all a part of, but like he's, I'm gonna give I'm gonna give Scott credit for saying it, uh, but then beyond that, like n- nobody has any of these other squads. Well, I, I I'd I'd be remiss if if I didn't mention that there was an eight year old who has one of the four squads <laughs> in her. What, yes, because she, she, li- she likes she owls. likes owls. Hey, I, I'm saying. Never, never let anyone tell you they know anything. Because an eight-year-old who likes owls yep. picked one of the four teams, it's, and and it's funny because there is so much of of that right now. And again, Scott mentioned it, and I know other people. Like I, I, I know there are people out there who have been on the UConn thing, and but I mean, it's, there's a lot of hindsight is twenty twenty. It's like, yeah, that team was white hearted. Sure, they were sure. white hot at the white hot at the start of the season and white hot since February, and they're white hot right now. But if everyone could have seen this, everyone would have had UConn. And it's like, it's just not, that's not the world that we live in right now. I know it's it's crazy. It's funny to juxtapose it too with the woman's side where yeah. you have some all-time powers going into this Final Four from the woman's side. Um, and, and the weird thing is it's it's not chalk only because... I don't know. We're all going to look back and wonder how Iowa was not a number one seed. Um, and in hindsight, I mean, with Caitlin Clark, who looks like a future Hall of Famer, um, that we're all, you know, we're all going to wonder how they weren't a one seed. But as it is, you're looking at 
Caitlin Clark versus Aaliyah Boston in the semifinals of the Final Four. And, I mean, like, juxtaposing that with Florida Atlantic versus San Diego State. Like, I don't even know how you can make a comparison, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. Um, well, well and, then on, and then on the other side of the women's uh, bracket, it, it looks like it, it, the game is not quite over yet. There's only a minute left, and they're up nine. So it, looks, it certainly looks like Virginia Tech is going to go through over Ohio State. And they are going – they're a one seed. They're going to play um, – LSU coached by uh, Kim Mulkey, who they stole from Baylor. Um, the rebuild that she's done at, at LSU is um, pretty spectacular and unprecedented. Um, obviously, she's a great coaching talent. So, um, yeah, so like some huge, some huge squads uh, on the women's side, and it is quite a juxta- just juxtaposition of um, the absolute bonkers nature of the men's tournament this it's year. It's funny too because there are so many. I mean, you talk about, and I think a lot of people have talked about this, right? That like NIL, a lot of people were structuring NIL in terms of like, oh, quarterbacks will sign for this and stuff. And and a lot of women, female athletes grabbed the NIL bull by the horns almost immediately and leveraged social media followings and got really big. And it has definitely had an impact on the women's game. And you can look at like, you look at the final eight and, and for example, Someone like Haley Van Lith or the Cavender Twins at Miami, both of which were teams that were in the Elite Eight and eliminated in the Elite Eight. Awesome basketball players, but also massive social media followings. And you fold that into just the fact that in the same Elite Eight, you have generational talents like Caitlin Clark and Aaliyah Boston. And the star power in the women's game has just gone up and up and up. And it's you're just seeing it right now. And I mean, Lord have mercy, that game last night, Caitlin Clark versus Haley Van Lith. And Haley Van Lith played awesome, and Caitlin Clark played like someone from another planet. And I, I mean, just you're just seeing. I mean, the women's game is just this meteor. I mean, it just it's just rocket ship going up and up and up and there. And again, but it is wild. I mean, it's like Cinderella City on the men's side, and just all of these mega stars on the women's side. So I mean, but I mean, it's like everything you want. What, what more could you want across both of these brackets? And then uh, the, the third and final uh, bracket has a bit of a big 10 tinge to it. Uh, the frozen four, uh, you got Minnesota, Boston, Michigan, and Quinnipiac. Uh, Quinnipiac beating Ohio State to get to the uh, Frozen Four. Let Let's specify Boston University, right. not the yes. other one. That's a That's a. I'm gonna I'm gonna censor myself. Um, very chalky though. I you know I talked last week about how a lot of the uh, perennial names in this tournament, uh, the North Dakotas, the Notre Dames, um, the Boston Colleges, uh, were not there, and it was funny because. I I went back and deep dive this. So in the first round, um, Big Ten, there were four Big Ten teams, Minnesota, Michigan, Ohio State, um, and Penn State. And they won their games by a combined score of 36 to 4. That's just insane. Every one of those teams put up eight or more goals. Michigan scored 11. I went all the way back in tournaments to 2003. And there was... One game with double-digit scores. That was a Penn State game in 2017. Um, there wasn't another game above seven until you got back to uh, I think 2010, 2009. So this was a this was a preposterous scoring output by Big Ten teams, and 
one of the things that stands out to me is that without some of those other name brand programs who, who can recruit at the same level as a Michigan, as a Minnesota, as a Boston University, um, I think it was very easy for, for these teams to overwhelm some of their competition. Now, granted, Ohio State and Penn State played like legit other programs um, and, and still smoked them. So this isn't all like haves and haves nots here, but um, it is. Uh, it was. It was a. It was a stunning display. It'll be interesting to see if if future tournaments are as as high powered offensively. The second round was was. I, I, I think Michigan beat Penn State two to one in uh, in OT in overtime. Yeah, Minnesota won three one. So like the second round, like like everybody like it cooled off big time. Um, and you just saw the influence of these teams that have deeper blue lines, better goaltending, uh, just have, have more speed and, and physicality and, um, on their rosters, right. More depth. Uh, so we've got a frozen four, uh, Minnesota, Quinnip- Minnesota against BU and Quinnipiac against, um, Michigan. And, uh, it'll be, it'll be fun. A couple weeks. Just a classic Michigan Quinnipiac matchup. Hockey's the best. <laughs> and, you know, I, I was, you know, looking at that and thinking, oh, we could get Michigan, Ohio State in the Frozen Four. That would be amazing. But uh, yeah, Quinnipiac going in as the number two overall seed. So I mean, that's a that's a talented squad. So yeah, it's it's very yeah. it's very it's very chalky. I mean, these are the four biggest names that were in the tournament, and it's the four that have come out um, of the of the initial sixteen teams. Um, Michigan, well, Minnesota, and not, Quinnipiac not, are not, all ones. And not a hundred percent chalk. As I <laughs> no, no, not a hundred percent chalk, but but those are the biggest four names. I yeah, okay. So Denver, I mean, was you're right. Yeah, Denver was was also a very big name, and they got beaten by Cornell in round one. <laughs> um, yeah, I know. Defending champs, uh, Sam's Sam's annual bugaboo. Whether he picks them or not, it, it seems to go go wrong for him. But um, but it is three ones and a two here in the fi- in the in the in the Frozen Four, which is not what you usually see. Um, on the hockey side, it's usually a bit crazier because again, single elimination hockey, just a stupid, weird idea. Anything else to mention before we get out of here tonight, guys? Just it's, it is awesome at the, and it's again, we said this, it's not like they weren't playing awesome before because they were softball has been good all year. Lacrosse has been good all year, but it's like both of them hit the afterburners at the exact moment. The hoop season came to an end and the exact moment they had the undisputed eyeballs of all of Northwestern Nation, and it's fantastic. It's like we all jumped from one roller coaster to the next, and, and now we're just going to continue this ride all the way through the spring. Well, uh, that'll just about wrap it up for tonight. Uh, head to our website, westlawpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Pirates, and email the show, westlawpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. And look for us in the west side of Ryan Field playing the red pirate flag because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For Eric Scasbo and John Lacombe, I'm Sam Walter. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time.